once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. My George, I'm Matsy. And I'm the other one, Micah. This week, we're going to look at a cartoon that's an iteration of an older cartoon, like a sequel or a reboot, what have you. And we'll talk about that. And then next week, we're going to assign each other an episode from an older version of that cartoon. You understand? Fun. Yeah. But as always, we uh, start by yakking about stuff. Um, Matsy, what do you want to talk about? So I've noticed that I have a weird habit sometimes where if there's something that I really like and then okay. more of it shows up, I sometimes am hesitant to watch it. I don't know why. I don't know if it's, you know, I'm worried that it's going to disappoint me or if I don't mm. deserve it or it's like a treat for later. I really don't know. Or if I, but it's just something that I do. And I, I don't know. All of this is just to say that I finally watched all that has aired thus far of season two of the Owl House. Oh, OK. Um, where are you in the Owl House, by the way? Oh, I haven't watched it in forever. OK. So I'm, I'm like episode Five or six. No, no uh, more, basically. Okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, then I won't do too much spoilery stuff. But, man, you remember I said when Centaur World came out that it was probably the best cartoon that I'd watched during the pandemic. And then yeah. the second season came along and I was not as into it. It was still fine, but it was, like, tempered. Yeah. The Owl House is kind of the opposite, where the first few episodes I watched and it, it was kind of a slow burn where it's like, I don't know about this. But the more I watched it, the more I got into it. Mm. And season two is hot fire. I am <laughs> way into this show. I love the Owl House. I think this might be the best cartoon I've watched during the pandemic. Oh, it's this second season is so good. And like I said, I'm not going to give any spoilers. Okay. Um, now there was something I think we've talked about before. Uh, something that the internet spoiled for me, where it seems fairly obvious, and I've talked about this before, so it's not that much of a spoiler. But it seems fairly obvious that Amity has a crush on Luz. Yeah. And I, I saw on the Wikipedia page that it the show has gained praise for being the first Disney series featuring a a prominent same-sex couple. Okay. Which told me, okay, at some point, Amity and Luz are going to get together. Fine. Yeah. Unfortunately, what that did was make me impatient through the slow burn oh, because okay. everything else that was going on in the series, I was like, oh, what's going to happen next? Wow. But whenever, you know, Amity and Luz would like touch or be close or something and blush and look away, I'm just like, come on. Because I know I that it's going to happen sooner or later. Hmm? When we first talked about this, uh, you had a complaint that Amity's character got overwritten by this one aspect. Yes. Um, that really calms down. Okay. And also, uh, Luz uh, reciprocates the feelings, which was not in in the first season. It was kind of like Luz was oblivious to it. She's just mm. like going along. She's trying to be friends with Amity because that's just the kind of person she is where she wants to be friendly with everyone. Mm. And Amity was the one who was head over heels. Yeah. But then in season two, 
Lou's starts to, you know, neither one of them is as ridiculously crushy, but mm. it's things like Lou's was, she's saying something like, I've got to find a way to worm my way into Emmy's heart. I mean, figure out how to get home or nah. something like that. Like that she had, like, it was clear that the feeling was mutual and toned down where they were both like, they both wanted to make the move, but were hesitant, but weren't like just collapsing under the weight of it as much. Mm. Um, also to kind of signify the ultimate change in Am- uh, Amity's character. Uh, she dyed her green hair purple. Oh, she's got and, like a gold crest at the front, right? Um, brown roots. Colored. Yeah. Am I being ignorant here? This is, remember you saying for, um, Joe, Joe and, um, Kid Cosmic that you're pointed out that the there were dark roots underneath and that's why oh, yeah. the purples on the, well is it this case here because her siblings have that too right they have that mustard colored patch um it's it's more brown and there is like this the moment that I'm talking about here is like her sister M is like brushing her hair while they chat oh and she specifically says like oh your roots are really coming through do you want me to dye it again oh okay and the answer to this is that their mother likes green. So uh, all the kids have their hair dyed green because it's what their mother wants. But this is Amity like breaking free of this is like, you know what? I'm going to do something different. And then when uh, Luz knocks on the door, Amity answers it and her hair is now purple. As though by your design. You know, I say that as like, oh, purple hair on a girl really does it for me. Yeah. But now I'm starting to realize that like every girl in cartoons has purple hair. Oh, Joe has purple hair. Amity has purple hair. Um, I said last week I was watching home movies. Uh, Brendan's mom, Paula, has purple hair. Uh, It's just kind of everywhere now Mm. to the point that it's not like, oh, yes, this weird, unique thing that I like is happening. It's more like, oh, there's another one. You have I guess options I, beyond. I guess uh, I should Patty. be excited. Yeah. yeah. You have well, options I mean, beyond Patty and Selma. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. Apparently, there was an episode where they revealed that it was ash, and they like, they both shook oh. out all the cigarette smoke out of their hairs, and they were like, like brown and blonde or something. Whoa! Not blue though. Weird. No. Hmm. Um. Anyway. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but boy, there's so it it season two is really developing the world and the characters a lot more. It's so complex. There's a new character that is introduced named the Golden Guard, and there's so much to his character. Like, I don't know where his story is going. Uh, Mm. King, you know, King is kind of comic relief in the first season where he's like. This little yeah. dog thing. Oh, also, he's supposedly the dethroned demon king, but whatever. Okay, well, now yeah. it's like, wait a minute. We have a dethroned demon king in our cast. Let's explore that. Okay. Um, The magic system is um getting you. You haven't. I guess if you're only a few episodes in, you haven't really seen the magic system really explained that much. I can't remember what the last one I saw was. I know they, mm. they animated a house. The Owl House, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there was not like a sorting thing, I guess, but oh, 
I guess where you had to pick your specialty. Yeah, and, the uh, uh, the covens. There are nine. Yeah, covens. yeah, yeah. That's right. That's yes. right. So I saw that too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's all about like within the first six, seven episodes. Yeah, it it takes a few episodes to get to the magic school part, and I was worried mm-hmm. that it was going to become a magic school show, but it doesn't. Right. It goes beyond that. But Good. you start to learn, like. A minor, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but basically um, the witches in this world, the witches and demons in the demon world have um, organs, bile sacs in their hearts Mm. that allow them to cast magic, which humans do not have. And so Luz does not have the physical capability to do magic. It's like she's a wizard in a world of sorcerers, to put it in D&D terms. Okay. Um, So she has to figure out another way to cast magic and in doing so they they're building on that now in the second season and the magic system is so interesting it's like interlocking glyphs uh man i don't want to keep going on and on about it but like i like that yeah yeah I i like bind runes and stuff like that oh yeah it's like the um you know you have their there are only a few runes. There's like one for fire, one for plants, one for light, one for ice, I think. Mm. But by combining those glyphs in different ways, in very specific ways, you can make any kind of magic by mixing the effects together. Like Luz mm. figures out how to use the light rune in a certain way to make an invisibility spell. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's really fascinating and that it, it's so good it's so well fleshed out and so good. And it just keeps going like the, the there's a couple of episodes that look back at what's going on in the human world, which Hmm. actually features a voice actress. I think it's pronounced Michaela Dietz. Okay. Who was in the, was it the last episode? I'm trying to think here. Where was it? Oh, no, it was something I haven't showed you yet. But ah. um, she is the... Oh, she's in The Ghost in Molly McGee. That's what it was. Okay. Um, She's the voice of Amethyst in Steven Universe. Nice. And she is in The Owl House. And also, I totally... Like, she has a really distinct voice, right? You'd think I would have noticed. But she's yeah. the, the younger brother in The Ghost in Molly McGee. Hmm. And I totally didn't get that. But, hmm. yeah... Uh, anyway, yes, Owl House season two continues to be rad. I'm going to be sad when this series runs out of stuff to tell us, because right now I feel like there's still so much more of the iceberg to this world. Hmm. Man. Anyway, it makes me makes me want to imagine like what a big a young enthusiast of the show might do now where they would, you know, just take these basic runes and scrawl them out and invent their own spells. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of teaching you like it's you get to see a really complex rune and spell later, like a teleportation spell, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like it doesn't tell you how to do it. It's like this guy just draws it on the ground. It's like, well, here, bye, poof. And it you know, you don't know how he did it. But looking at the complexity, you're like, oh, wow, this magic system goes deep. Hmm. And, you know, as D&D nerds, that's the kind of thing that we're into, right? Yeah, maybe it should have its own role-playing game. Although oh, I guess... man. 
Yeah. Like a role playing game where you actually have to draw the glyphs, you know, initiative. <laughs> <laughs> you just start. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's. Yeah. The, man, a role playing game in this world. I mean, this is a better fleshed out magic world than Harry Potter. Hmm. Mm. Anyway, the other. Well, the thing that I said I was going to do was watch yeah. Turning Red. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out that if you don't have Disney Plus, that movie is actually really hard to find. Oh, well protected at this point. eh? Yeah, I don't I don't want to like endorse piracy or anything. So I didn't I looked on my one site that I look Uh, at for things like this and it wasn't there. And I looked at um, various like I looked on the uh, Apple store to see if it was for sale or rent there. I looked hmm. at my local movie theater listings and it wasn't it's not in theaters, I guess. Or at least not in this theater. So, yeah, I haven't watched Turning Red, and it kind of looks like it's going to be a while before I do. So this is my invitation for you to say whatever you want about it. Oh, because it's going to be a while, apparently. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything too much. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, so I watched it and the character designs appealed to me Mm -hmm. and the characters themselves. The characters look kind of, hmm, they're a little bit. Uh, they're they're very stylized. They're they're sort of like peanuts, I guess. <laughs> Big old faces, right? Uh, just a tremendous set of chompers. Uh, <laughs> as you look at any character talk, you're just struck by these giant chiclets behind their mouths. Sounds um, like the uh, feelings in Inside Out. Oh yeah, yeah. They look more like them, uh, which I approve of, and the animation too. Mm. I think. Uh, went for a more stylized look. Um, and they touch on things like what it was like. I imagine. I mean, I I, I have someone around who, who is, was a, uh, that age in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So they really touch on that. They uh, have a really, they represent a really multi-ethnic society in Toronto. Yeah, sure. Which, which, you know, feels a lot like Vancouver. Yeah. So that's all pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as I watched, I was kind of thinking, like, well, why am I just a little bit bored mm. <laughs> when the, all these things? Appeal- I think the reason is that there's nothing that's quite weird enough or deep enough or complex enough, you know, mm. okay. like the the power to turn into a panda doesn't have a lot of depth to it. What mm. you what you see is what you get, basically. Hmm. And um, further. All the characters, the way that they develop, you know how they're going to develop from early on, and they do just that. <laughs> so there's kind of nothing to chew on on that show. Um, gotcha. E- even though there are a lot of things that are enjoyable. <laughs> One thing that's kind of funny is that they really strike uh, hard on the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so like her, her, the shirt that she wears to bed, the toque that she wears to school is covered in maple leaves. Right. And now, do you mean Maple Leafs like Canadian Maple Leafs or Maple Leafs like the Toronto Maple Leafs? Oh, like the flag. OK. The Yeah, like the Canadian flag. And, okay. you know, I guess the, the I guess the Toronto Maple Leafs is trademarked. Yeah. Um, there's a moose bobblehead on the car <laughs> dash. And it made me made me quip when I was discussing this with Raven, like that, uh, uh, that it's as though they do all their shopping at the airport. You know, <laughs> and but the thing is, their job, 
they have a shrine and they do tours and stuff. So they probably have a gift shop and they probably do get like all that oh. stuff at wholesale cost. So that's my head cannon. That's why okay. they have all this stuff is that they can get like a $3 t-shirt that's got the maple leaf on it. <laughs> yeah. um, I did note like it's, it's telling that just from the commercials for it, I could yeah. see that it was set in Toronto. Yeah. Like, I mean, it doesn't take much. It's like, oh, there's the CN Tower. Oh, sure, sure. But but at the same time, like, if it's if they're hitting you over the head with it that hard that just from yeah. the commercial, you're like, I know exactly which city this is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing is that it doesn't really need to be a red panda. Mm-hmm. And all of the red pandas in this thing are huge. So little kids are going to have the wrong idea of what a red panda is. <laughs> Right, so it's basically built in the size of a raccoon, but yeah. Anyway, I don't, I don't think it's bad. I just thought I'd really like it, and you know, then it kind of gave me pause. Like, why weren't I enjoying this more than I am? Well, you know, Pixar movies are never really bad. They're just kind of there are some that are better than others. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, speaking of which, I was just thinking about this. Thinking about the emotions in Inside Out. Hmm. Does anyone else find it disturbing? Like, it seems like every character has one emotion that kind of drives them. You know, like for the girl, Riley, it's her happiness, right? She's in charge of everything. Yeah. Does anyone else find it disturbing that the mom's guiding emotion seems to be sadness and the dad's driving emotion seems to be anger? (laughs) Yeah. Wasn't there at the end that you got to look in several people and one guy's was just like five angers? Um, possibly. Yeah, I think there was I, I mean, I know it went into weird places where there's like, you know, a cat and they're all just all bouncing off the walls. Right. And, yeah. But yeah, I always thought that was kind of weird in the in the one scene where the mom and dad are like looking at each other and trying to address Riley. I'm, I'm like, OK, it's cute that we're getting to see other people's emotions, but also the subtext here is kind of dark. <laughs> well, they're not bad. I mean, we learned that by the end of the movie, right? No, they're not. The, the feeling sad is not a bad thing. No. And, you know, as they get older, the emotions get more into harmony with each other, which is the point of the movie. But at the same time, think, I'm still like, why is her yeah. sadness driving? Even though she's not particularly sad, she's just it's just kind of negative, like concern for her daughter. But then, mm. like, the angry guy is just thinking about hockey. <laughs> if yeah, if they only knew it would replace like horoscopes, right? So I think like disgust would attract disgust and other people would find them insufferable. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. Hmm. Anyway, just something I wanted to shout out while we were talking about Pixar. Hmm. Um, Hey, listen, we got to, we got to take care of this first. Um, Hey, Matsy, do you miss those sugary cereals that you used to enjoy as a kid? But as an adult, you don't miss all those carbs. Man, I thought I would like Lucky Charms as an adult, but it's so sweet. Right. Well, now you can balance your love of cereal and your responsibility as an adult with animation seller reel. We've hit the big time, Matsy. Our newest cereal is based on a He-Man character. No. Guess which. Yeah. Guess which one? Um, oh, geez. Testing my knowledge of Masters of the Universe here. Um, what would have the best cereal pun? Mm. Robotos? <laughs> nice try. Think more whimsical. Orcos! 
That's right. It's fan favorite inventor from the new adventures of He-Man, Geppel. Introducing <laughs> Geppel's goodies. These <laughs> yummy pellets are a slow-acting coagulant for milk. Almond milk, oat milk, soy milk, cow milk. It works on all of it. Have you heard of food that sticks to your ribs? Just one bowl of goodies is guaranteed to clog your guts for days. One bowl, that's value. When you think of He-Man, think of Geppel. And when you think of Geppel, think of Geppel's goodies. The breakfast that stays with you. New from Animation Cellar... Eel. All right, we got him back from Kevin Smith. <laughs> yes. Geppel. I don't... I, I can't understand how they would part with the rights to Geppel. Yeah, well, you know. Kevin Smith does weird things. He. Okay, so the stuff that I was up to... Um, the last episode of Attack on Titan was on my birthday. Oh. Oh, was but, your birthday recent? Oh, yeah, it was Sunday. Oh, well, happy birthday. Oh, thanks. Um, but it was only sort of the last episode. So I've talked about this before, that what we're watching right now in Attack on Titan is Attack on Titan, the final season. Hmm. So like after years, after, years after season three, we were waiting for more Attack on Titan. And then the final season, how hype and exciting. Um, and when it started, it had a time jump. It introduced a lot of new characters and only focused on those characters through four episodes. Hmm. Which left me even then to ask, how are they going to wrap this up? Having, you know, brought in all new motivations and, and the like and not at all even shown us the old characters. Well, it turns out they didn't. It ended, and then they promised, like, well, next year you're going to get part two of the final season. <laughs> so, as we got close to this, the last episode, people that had already read the comics were warning, hey, guys, there's like nine more chapters. <laughs> so, speculation was running rampant, like, oh, is this going to be, they're going to announce a movie to finish this off. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, it turns out it's going to be a third part, a third season to the final season. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't have just called it season four, five and six or given it another title, like one that was evocative of the 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 mood of that mm. season anyway. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, uh, more Attack on Titan isn't a bad thing, but after a, a fair sized wait after season three. I was kind of ready for this to have a conclusion, you know? Mm. Anyway, anyway, uh, one of the big things about the final season, all three of them, is... Uh, so the, the first three seasons were animated by a studio called Wit. Um, and then for the finale, they've transferred over to another studio called Mappa. Hmm. So it's a big debate amongst the fans. Which one is better, right? Huh. Comparisons of the way they do things. Of I think that, Yeah, I think they come out even. There's some things they did well, some things not so much, but I'll get my revenge on MAPPA a little bit by complaining about one thing they did. So as it's a whole different studio, they had to rework designs a little bit, right? Mm. Um, now, Attack on Titan already from the start has got dozens of characters. So you end up with quite a few characters that look kind of close to each other and you have to discern like, uh, he's got freckles. So that one's Marco. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. The thing that's way too prevalent in Mappa's version of these characters is blonde, shoulder-length bob haircuts. <laughs> so to the point where there's a scene with one character 
whose signature hairstyle, she's got like fine hair that's clipped up in the back, usually. Okay. And another character with thick, wavy brown hair. And I'll be damned if they don't have the same blonde shoulder length bob haircut, same body and volume. And <laughs> they have a couple conversations. There's one where they're both riding the same horse. And I swear, I'm looking for, like, the profile of their faces in order to figure out which one's talking. <laughs> or there's another instance where they, they there's a, a character that is utterly minor. If I if I binged it, I would have keyed on to who she was, right? But I just figure, like, oh, she's just some secondary character, right? And mm. even when they, they, they elaborate on her. So then they show her later on. I was thinking, like, oh. I didn't think she was at this battle because I'm thinking of another character with blonde, a blonde Bob haircut, right? <laughs> and what's worse, the things that she says and the meaning of that scene works equally well to that other character and maybe even better because she's like a main character. <laughs> so anyway, that, that's a, a big failing of MAPPA. Not, not distinct enough. Sounds like it, yeah. But still, good show, exciting Gotta wait a year now. <laughs> Man, that is kind of a t- to tell them like, oh, the last season is coming in a year. Here it comes. Here right. it comes. Now wait another year for the next piece of the last episode. Like <clears throat> that's yeah, that's kind of rough. Lucy has yanked the football twice. Mm. Um. Okay, so the other thing you might remember me mentioning mentioning ranking of kings. Yes. The uh, yeah, the story of the the uh, deaf and dumb prince. Yeah. Um, I kind of got derailed from watching it because I was uh, enticed to watch it while I was really sleepy. So I was kind of in and out of a bunch of episodes and then uh-huh. had the prospect of I got to rewatch some episodes to fill in the gaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I did. And, you know, it wasn't a chore because this show is good. Good. From the outset, I thought that it would kind of be a show about how he wins people over by being sweet and earnest. Mm hmm. Um, that is in there, but I'm at episode 15 now and it's developed into like a big action show with a lot of bloodshed. Oh, great. No, but it's, it's good. It's good. And, and it's got, it falls into a trap that boy shows kind of have sometimes where there's just, uh, a glut of too many super powered heroes, especially, but villains too, you know, mm, Yeah. where it's just like, here's five more and here's some more before you can explore them you know or it doesn't even matter it's just more noise right but in this case they do such a good job with these characters and you know typically they'll show you backstories to these different characters so yeah it's just fantastic show i really have a good time and i have this strange habit too so if i'm looking at like you know some choices and say i'm looking at crunchyroll and looking at anime on there and i think well okay, this is a high school thing and that's another high school thing and whatever. I'm looking for something interesting. I have a tendency lately to pick the winners. Okay. Like I was big in, I was big into Dr. Stone about the far future where most of humanity has been petrified. Hmm. And it's like, that was the hot thing. And, you know, I just kind of got into this cause it looked a little funky, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently it's the hot thing. So I'm on it. Oh, huh. and the other thing that ties this together, yep. it's animated by Studio Wit. So, <laughs> you know, they've kept busy making great things, aside from Attack on Titan, so. <laughs> well, you know, 
They needed to make room. Right, right. Anyway, it's, it's rich. I get everything. I got Mappa Attack on Titan. I got Wit Ranking of Kings. Cool. Um, anyway, that's, that's, the, uh, that's what's happening for me. All right. I think it's time we have a look to the future. Or actually the not-too-distant past, I suppose. Um, well, sort of the future. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going with this. I was like, wait, why are you backtracking? That was a good transition. <laughs> well, I was thinking about the time the time of release, but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Well, let's explain. Um, what I got here is a show called Batman, The Brave and the Bold. This is from around 2009, and... Mm. It is loosely, it, it draws its idea from a DC comic series called The Brave and the Bold, which was an excuse to have two heroes in the DC universe team up in each issue, I guess. Hmm. Although, because it's modern, uh, DC means Batman. Batman probably needs no introduction. He's a rich guy with a friend who slash employee who makes gadgets and he uses this to fight crime. So he's a superhero without superpowers in a world where everybody else has superpowers. Um, and there have been Batman cartoons for a long time. It really picked up in the early 90s, 1992, uh, right on the heels of the film Batman Returns when they made Batman the animated series. And there's pretty much been some kind of Batman animated series in perpetuity ever since. There's also been yeah. pretty much a Batman movie in perpetuity. Basically, <laughs> yes. Warner Brothers <laughs> has kind of been doing everything they can ever since that first Tim Burton Batman movie in 1989 to keep Batman in a merchandisable context. There've been It's only like... Yeah, three or four years between iterations. Yeah, of, there of have movies, been yeah. what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight live action Batman films between nineteen eighty nine and twenty twenty two, plus at least one animated one, um, not counting straight to video stuff. Uh, various TV series, Batman the Animated Series. I think it's the New Adventures of Batman or Batman the New Adventures. I can't remember which. Um, Batman Beyond. Um, yeah. Batman the shows Batman. Up. Hmm? The, the, Batman. the Batman. The Batman. Yes, yeah. thank you. Um, and this, Batman the Brave and the Bold. And this is basically the same idea as the comic series, where each episode Batman teams up with some other, usually really lesser known DC hero. Well, uh, in this case, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I was looking through. Well, Okay. Let's get on to it. This is called The Last Bat on Earth, which is a play on The Last Boy on Earth, which is the title of a character named Commandy from the 70s, who is the last boy on Earth. We'll get to that. But first, it cold opens with Batman and another lesser DC hero, Mr. Miracle, chained to a speeding trolley on a ro uh, ro uh, <laughs> roller coaster track. The track is filled with death traps, but the two heroes just calmly banter about stuff while they escape. It turns out that the whole thing was just a show for charity. And this segment ends with Mr. Miracle looking really sad uh, yeah. about uh, his fiance Big Barda, chiding him for not cleaning out the garage. Like, he's really regretting the idea that he's got to get married. Which is... It was like... 
his look of sadness was shockingly sad. <laughs> Batman's like, looks like this is one trap you can't get out of. And he's like, oh, like, boy, that's a lot of regret. Hey, anyway, it's big bar, big barda, it evens out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is a hallmark of this show, it turns out, where it has a cold mm. open that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. Right. It's like a peek to another episode, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then it goes into the title sequence. So after said title sequence, uh, we get to a ruined city. An army of anthropomorphic tigers is marching with their leader being carried on a throne by miserable humans. The army halts as another army of gorillas approaches. The gorillas also employ enslaved humans, it turns out. And the conflict is being watched from a distance by a human man, Commandy. And his anthro-dog companion, cleverly named Dr. Canis. Hmm. So, Commandy, you know, this is another DC comic series where it's a world of anthropomorphic humans in the far future that are enslaving humans like um, uh, Planet of the Apes. And Commandy is like... like Yeah. The last... It's like Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. He's the last intelligent human, basically. Yeah. Now, Commandy has no love for either side, but the Prince of the Tigers, Tufton, is his friend. The plan is to free human slaves while the animal armies are fighting. But when Tufton gets in trouble, Commandy has to intervene. Tufton escapes with Commandy, which makes his father, Caesar, disappointed. Caesar calls for reinforcements, and the gorillas entreat. Entreat? Retreat. They entreat that they retreat. Yeah, they retreat, yeah. enraging their leader. Back at the camp, the guerrilla general berates his army for retreating, but a strange figure blames the general's weak leadership for the failure. This figure, it turns out, is Gorilla Grodd, a super intelligent guerrilla villain who usually fights the Flash, but eh. This show is all about weird team-ups. And he's also, yeah. Gorilla Grodd is not to be confused with the other super-intelligent ape villain in the DC universe that the Flash fights, Ultra Humanite, who we talked about on Christmas. Hmm. So anyway, now we have weird setup. Let's go back and get some answers. We'll go back to Gotham City, where Batman is on the trail of the escaped Grodd. And he finds a laboratory he's been in before because he knows the scientist, Dr. Nichols. The scientist has made a time machine, and he explains that Grodd forced him to send Grodd into the future. So Batman goes after him. Now, this is a good time to mention that all of this familiarity seems like this is a sequel episode, but it's not. It turns out there was a previous episode called Dawn of the Dead Man, where the cold open had Batman fighting alongside Commandy. So mm. there wasn't another episode where Batman met Commandy. It was just the useless cold open thing that they decided to revisit. So just for future reference, Batman has been to this future before and he knows who Commandy is. Okay. Meanwhile, or later in the future, the guerrilla general six his soldiers on Grodd, but he overcomes them easily with his power gauntlet. And uh, then he bests the general in unarmed combat to take control of the guerrilla army. Mean, meanwhile, Commandy and Canis, now with Tufton, 
are trying to free human slaves from tiger slavers. The raid doesn't go well until they're saved by Batman. But that also doesn't go well, because as Batman and Commandy are fighting well, Canis and Tufton are beaten. And under threat of the death of their friends and the slaves, Batman and Commandy are forced to surrender. Back at the Tiger base, Caesar confronts the prisoners. His son, it is decided, will stay in the dungeon while the others are to be executed. Batman tries to explain that Gorilla Grodd is a threat, but Caesar has had such success against simians that he is unconcerned. But just then, the chanting of the Gorilla army interrupts. Now they're led by Grodd and they're armed with his technology, and chief among those weapons are sonic cannons, which devastate the sensitive feline ears. And then they bring out a gigantic ape, who is of course named Tiny, whose origins are not explained. And he is brought yeah. in he's brought in to break down the wall, or at least the gate in the wall, surrounding the tiger enclave. Batman chooses now to deploy some acid from his utility belt. That's I couldn't think of the word. Mm. I was thinking gimmick belt. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so they escape. But it isn't long before Grodd literally picks up Batman's scent. The gorillas attack and the escapees escape more into the sewer. <laughs> there, Batman tells Commandy and Canis to come with him while teasing a mission for Tufton. We get a real brief interlude just to show that, show that Grodd has defeated Caesar. And then we see that Batman has led Commandy and Canis to the ruins of the Batcave. Apparently, the Tiger City was built on top of stately Wayne Manor. Hmm. But they are New hairy. Jersey. What's that? <laughs> New Jersey. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, where, it's where Gotham is. I did not know that. Yeah. Huh, okay. Anyway, um, they are harried by anthropomorphic bats, or as the DC Universe calls them, man-bats. Of course... The bats are beaten back pretty easily. This threat is basically here just to, so there's a cliffhanger that they can go to commercial on. Um, so then once they've beaten off the man bats. Huh, um, so once they've defeated the man bats. <laughs> uh, the team starts yeah. repairing some bat gear. It probably takes a long time, but let's ignore that. There's a it's lot the of team. There's a lot of stuff in this episode that's pretty preposterous, but eh. Anyway, well, yeah, the gorillas now with tiger slaves are marching home, I guess, but they are confronted by the armies of the lions, the bears, the snakes, the rats, the tribes that have all been unified by Tufton. But the gorilla sonic cannon messed these armies up, too. But that's when Batman and friends show up in his rebuilt plane, which um, is traditionally called the Batwing. So I guess let's go with that. Bat missiles destroy the sonic cannons, and then Batman and the others bail out, letting the Batwing crash. Boy, they took a lot of work for something they probably could have done without that airplane. <laughs> well, he got, he did all those boss aileron rolls while launching those missiles. I I didn't even catch that as rolls. It seemed like the like the 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 wings were just spinning around the um. Oh, maybe they chassis. were, and the, and the, the cockpit was stationary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a lot nicer for uh, his passengers, that's for sure. Yeah, Canis was not enjoying flying. Anyway, um, the crash causes a landslide which breaks up the gorilla army, 
And then the man bats, who were impressed with Batman's bat likeness, join mm. the fight. It looks bad for the gorillas, but they still have Tiny. Commandy and Tufton managed to take out Tiny AT-AT style by tying his ankles together while Batman fights Grodd. And when the gorillas see Tiny defeated, they retreat, trampling Grodd in the process. In the aftermath, Caesar orders the human slaves freed, having learned his lesson about racism. And Batman returns to his own time with the captured Grodd. So I guess uh, this entire Commandy comic series just needed Batman to show up and finish it. Right. Well, you know, got escalated. He got a uh, oh, that's not true. just a not just a uh, human-like gorilla. He had a uh, super villain human-like gorilla. Yeah, and I kind of wondered sort of why Batman was bothering with this because it hasn't happened. Yeah, like it's like. <laughs> Gorilla Grodd is gone for from yeah. the perspective. Of it probably Gotham? improves the timeline. Yeah, <laughs> really? Well, this is I mean, as you, as you acknowledge, there's a lot of crazy, stupid things in this. Yes. Batman, the brave and the bold is like an homage to the stupidity of Silver Age comics. Yes. Where Batman is just like going to other planets and dimensions and timelines oh, and doing boy. all this crazy stuff. I looked over uh, like the episode list and just kind of like glanced at some of the synopses and yeah. wow, he's time traveling all over the place. He's back <laughs> in the 19th century. He's <laughs> in the future. He's on other planets. There's, I think there's an episode where Aquaman and the Adam have to shrink down and go inside him to cure a disease. Oh yes. It's wonderfully stupid. Yeah. But, I got addicted to watching them. They're actually, um, I mean, they don't achieve the heights of stupidity of Silver Age comics. And kind of funny, at certain points, they start seeding a climax to each season. Mm. So it really pulls you in. Yeah, so like they'll have just at the end or maybe in the cold open, they'll have something, you know, like you get to see the machinations of Starro or <laughs> Equinox or whatever the big the big bad guy of that season is going to be. Right, right. But, yeah, uh, yeah. If you 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 got to be in the mood for stupid to watch the show. Yeah, sure. I kind of you know, it's the word preposterous kept coming into my head like like right from the <laughs> start. Like I I can't remember specifically what triggered it, but boy, immediately I was like, this is dumb. But at the same time, <laughs> I got the idea because it's drawn. First of all, this is the first Warner Animation um, thing to be done uh, broadcast in high definition. And it looks real sharp. It looks a lot like a comic book in a lot of ways. Yes. It also, Batman's outfit is the old style blue and gray outfit. Um, it's it, kind of like the animation at the beginning of the 60s TV series. It's a it, little bit. It, it really is a throwback. And it's also. In, in hmm? Yeah. In fact, Joker looks like he does in that opening credits, too. And huh. so does the Penguin, I think. So, hmm. yeah. He, um, oh, and the Catwoman's yeah. got like the cowl and her hair out. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And it just looked like, I mean, Wikipedia tells me that this show was aimed at a younger audience. And I believe it. And but so also a nostalgic older audience. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like Batman has become so realistic in recent years, especially yeah. after the uh, Christopher Nolan movies, um, that it is. You know, it, it, it is jarring to go back to stupid comic book Batman. Right. But at the same time, once you do, 
It's like, okay, fine. I'm along for this ride. It's it's kind of fun. Yeah. You know, originally I was going to pick a team up with Robin. Yeah. Because it would feel familiar. Hmm. But it felt like it wasn't wacky enough, even though the villain was Crazy Quilt. <laughs> so I wanted to pick something that would really embody the stupidity of the show. Well, that, you did a pretty good job there. Um, I want to real quickly mention the voice casting in this. Um, mm-hmm. Boy, I didn't recognize Dietrich Bader as Batman. But he does a yeah. pretty good job. Yeah, and he continues as Batman and other stuff, too. I did recognize John DiMaggio as Gorilla Grodd. And I was pretty impressed with myself for picking that up because it doesn't really sound like John DiMaggio. There's nothing Mm. that guy can't do. Um, Speaking of which, I realized that Gorilla Grodd is a known entity who's been around for decades. Yeah. But in my mind, Grodd is one of the deity-ish Martians in Adventure Time. Where, you know, Jake will say like, oh, my God. And, Mm. you know, Jake is also John DiMaggio. But so that was weird for me. Like keep saying, keep hearing this word God when I know it as just a thinly disguised God in Adventure Time. I like God because he's like Lex Luthor, except that his motivations are dumb. (laughs) Right. Like. His motivations are just like, we need more gorillas on this planet. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how Grodd knew that gorillas were one of the dominant species of the future. I don't know. Probably um, just a predictive ability calculations or something. <laughs> he probably Ooh. had a big chalkboard full of full of numbers and symbols that eventually equal to more gorillas. You know, maybe he seeded the revolution. Huh. Except he didn't. Well, um, unless it was like it could go on without him. Well, like maybe he set the ball rolling. Like maybe he (laughs) maybe uh, he super intelligent gorilla impregnated a regular gorilla and then. went. Okay, let's see how this plays out. (laughs) Oh, man, you should see uh, Justice League Unlimited. Is it? It might be before Unlimited. It might be just Justice League. Um, his lover. They made Giganta his lover. Mm. I think in her lore proper, she was an ape. Boy, DC is weird. She <laughs> was an ape that got turned into a human that can grow real big. Oh. But they they made the natural marriage of making her uh, mutation be done by Gorilla Grodd. Mm. And so he's got her as his lover looking like a shapely human now. Hmm. And you just want to keep it getting weird. Uh, he takes on another woman, another human woman as his lover. That that show is funky, man. Why would he be into humans if he's all about the superiority well, of apes? Maybe that's what makes it really dirty for him or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's a... I don't know. He's maybe the, it's a power play against humans. He's the animal equivalent of a furry. Right. <laughs> That's skinny. I don't know. One one thing I want to know this is that this one is uh, directed, I think, by Ben Jones. Yes. Um, he has animated on the Iron Giant and like a million DC animations, okay. but he's producing the upcoming Samurai Rabbit cartoon. Oh. 
Yeah, about uh, the descendant of Usagi Ojimbo. Oh, wait, oh, I I had heard there was a new Usagi Ojimbo thing coming. I didn't realize it was like a future spinoff. Huh. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a descendant, and I thought just like they totally changed the design, but I guess it's a different rabbit altogether, so. Well, that's interesting. I like Usagi yeah. Ojimbo. I'll, uh, I'll take a look at that. Um, also, that name <laughs> tells you that the character's name is not Usagi Ojimbo, which is the mistake that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles made. Oh, he's Miyamoto, right? It was a long yeah. time before I, I was like, why are these comic books keep calling him Miyamoto Usagi? And then yeah. I was like, oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles perverted it. Okay, now I get it. Or disambiguated it, so you know that's that one. I guess. Remember I was telling you about Cerebus and how it, uh, <laughs> Cerebus the artwork and how his creator went nuts and started offending everyone? Yeah. They can't erase all those guest appearances of Cerebus in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Usagi Ojimbo. <laughs> oh, like, boy. Cerebus guest stars, like, in, like, the 12th issue of TMNT or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Hey. Um, oh, one other thing about the voice cast. Like, there's the voice cast in this, at least in the guest stars, is really impressive. Yeah. You got like mm-hmm. Pee Wee Herman, Michael Dorn, Weird Al Yankovic, Will Wheaton. Um, hmm. One that I quite liked is that there's an episode that had flashbacks to uh, the parents, um, Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. And they're voiced by Adam West who is Mm. Batman in the uh, campy 60s TV show. Yeah. And Julie Newmar, who was Catwoman. Hmm. I thought that's pretty cool casting. Made a lot of boys into men, that Catwoman performance. I guess. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, that was a fun time. You know, it's, you know, Batman has been so serious for so long. And I, I was telling you recently off the podcast about how I just don't I was watching clips of those Batman movies and like I just don't like them like even that first Batman movie which was a big hit at the time but now I'm like man he's just killing everybody it's not Batman you know know one of the weirdest legacies of those movies Mm. is the grapnel gun you never see Mm. Batman climb anymore (laughs) it used to be one of his trademarks is climbing yeah, that's true. I actually liked that in uh, the opening credits of this. There's a, a shot of Batman like climbing because he's he's the title sequence is his moving through all this architecture that's made up of names of various heroes and villains. And mm. there's one where he's like doing the bat climb up a tower made out of these names. And I was like, just seeing that old outfit and seeing him do that climb. I was like, yeah, OK, I think I I think this shot is telling me. Where this uh, show is going. But yeah, it was nice to see some stupid, fun Batman after it's been so serious uh, for so long. Exactly. Um, Anyway, I guess speaking of uh, serious clouds and weather and tornadoes and the Wizard of Oz. Yes. And a show, uh, an idea that's silly and is probably made sillier here. So... The series you gave me is Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Uh, This particular episode from 2017, directed by Kuni Tomita. And uh, it's half episodes. I got Toto Unleashed and Official Ozian Exam. 
Uh, I think this is a property that crosses cultures, and most people know what this is, but here you go. L. Frank Baum penned The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, first published in the year 1900. Zero, zero. It is about a girl named Dorothy Gale who, with her dog Toto, is transported from Kansas to a fairy country called Oz. In order to be returned home, she is tasked with slaying the Wicked Witch of the West. On her journey, she acquires curious companions in a living scarecrow, a lumberjack made out of tin, and a lion. Their journey proves each possesses what he feels he most lacks for the scarecrow intelligence, the tin man compassion, and the lion courage. The Wizard of Oz himself turns out to be a fraud, but magic shoes uh, given to Dorothy uh, have the power to return her home. On a subsequent adventure in the Land of Oz, the true heir, a magical girl named Ozma, is appointed. This cartoon is based on the MGM movie based on the book, at the very least in the manner that the design work resembles the movie, but it also incorporates lore and characters from the other books. It also introduces Wilhelmina, the young witch who is Dorothy's rival. Wilhelmina can communicate with the vanquished Witch of the West, her aunt, through her crystal ball, though that doesn't happen at all in today's episode. Further, she inherited her aunt's flying monkeys, or at least two of them, named Frank and Lyman. Hey. Uh, um, Lyman? <laughs> did you... What? Hang on a second. Did you look this up? I'm just curious now. Go ahead. Bye. Continue what? on. Get on with this. Get on with the synopsis here. Okay, okay. wait. I I just looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. I I was I was wondering if there was some kind of a pun in these names, Lyman and Frank. Oh, in the. Yeah. And I suddenly realized. Wait a minute. L. Frank Baum. What does the L stand for? Turns out it's does Lyman. It really? Wow. Huh. Lyman Neat. Frank Baum. That's pretty cool. That is cool. I. Just found that out now. That's cool. Hmm. Okay, so... Uh, Toto Unleashed. Dorothy, her dog Toto, Scarecrow, the Tin Woodsman, and the Cowardly Lion trot on the yellow brick road, and then off of it, uh, just outside the Emerald City. They're on a mission to find a memory flower so that Ozma can use it to make a memory potion. While they're searching the field for the specific flower... Toto insists that Dorothy and the, the others play fetch and otherwise pay attention to him. Meanwhile, in the witch castle in the west, Wilhelmina spies on the group by way of her crystal ball. Envious of Dorothy having a pet, she outlines her command to her two winged monkeys. The plan? Go fly out there and grab the dog. Sometimes the best plans are the simplest ones. Hmm. While Dorothy picks the memory flower and has a vision of playing with her dog in black and white Kansas, the winged monkeys kidnap Toto. Wilhelmina tries to win over the dog by offering him every toy and treat he could want, but his loyalties are not so easily swayed. Lyman, the less cool flying monkey, laments not getting the same kind of treatment. Wilhelmina looks up a love spell to make Toto like her. To the extent that he's being controlled, he does. Then, by clue of banana peels discarded at the scene of the abduction, 
Dorothy and her posse go to the witch's castle. And at first, I thought that yellow banana peels didn't seem very Oz-like. For example, the corn in Munchkinland is supposed to be blue. Mm. But then I remembered that the West is the land of the Winkies where everything is yellow. So in this case, it makes sense for bananas to be yellow. <laughs> Deep Oz lore. Yeah. Um, I don't think it applies to this cartoon, though. They just do what they want. Yeah. But anyway, um, use of her magic ruby slippers gets them all inside to the very same room as Wilhelmina and Toto. Use of the memory flower helps Toto overcome the magic and remember his true mistress, Dorothy. Wilhelmina admits her defeat, so Dorothy and everyone leave. But all's well when Wilhelmina accepts the flying monkeys as her pets and plays fetch with them. So in this cartoon, Dorothy is not shy about using her powerful magic shoes. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a I mean, you know, in the most people are mostly familiar with the movie where she has these shoes and they don't really do anything except not be able to take it off her feet until she finds out she can tap them and go back home. And they've sort of fleshed out that teleportation power for the purposes of this cartoon where she can go anywhere she wants as long as she knows where it is. Yeah. Teleport, fly. Yeah. <laughs> the Cowardly Lion. He emulates the mannerism, mannerisms of Bert Lahr, the character actor from the MGM movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, put him up, put him up, that kind of thing. They all um, do to some extent. Yeah, but him way more. Mm, true. Like, everyone else doesn't really copy the same level of goofy persona as those old character actors. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, Judy Garland was really silly as uh, Dorothy when you think about it. When you think about her acting, and Mm. so was Glinda. I wonder if they thought that they were goofy back then. Hmm. If they were, like, cracking up between takes. (laughs) Who knows what they were thinking in the early days of movies. Oh, so also I forgot to mention that crystal ball thing. Probably on the One Ring Surveillance Network. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. That's a that's a callback joke. Watch the older episodes yeah, of yeah. Uh, Animation Celery. Yeah. Um, okay, so the other half-episode, official Aussian exam. When it begins, the mayor of Munchkinland interrupts a game of horseshoes of another color between Ozma, Dorothy, and her friends. Importantly, Dorothy needs to take the official Aussian exam in order to remain in Oz, despite the fact that she's a princess of the realm. I like that the mayor has a watch. It's such an Oz thing where he's like checking his watch. It's like, you have officially overstayed your welcome. Yeah, I guess so. To the point where he, maybe it's got like, you know, those watches with several times on it, little faces. Like lunchtime and. Just various citizens. He's got a non-citizens. He's got to kick out. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So her deadline is sunset four hours. And, uh, it's also funny that the mayor of Munchkinland has a law that the queen of the entire country can't just rescind. <laughs> anyway, Wilhelmina learns this detail because she's watching through a crystal ball. One ring. One ring security, yep. So anyway, overwhelmed with study and tutelage from her companions, Dorothy eagerly sidetracks to answer a distress signal from Indigo City. It's more like Pokemon. <laughs> um an inaccurate Ruby Shoes teleport sees Dorothy return with a chicken whom Tin, Tin Man names Belina. And that's a little nod to Ozma of Oz. <laughs> Fun fact, 
Bill the Chicken is my girlfriend's favorite hero from Oz books. Is there a Bill? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, when when Dorothy, the second time Dorothy goes to Oz, uh, she's like in a shipwreck. And it uh, one of the other, I guess it's pretty bleak when you think most everyone else died. Uh, one of the other survivors is a chicken who is thrilled to find out that she can talk now. Which really makes Toto seem ripped off. But anyway. <laughs> I just remember there being a chicken in um, the Disney movie Return to Oz. Yeah. Who I think is Belina. And, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And the and I'm just thinking about now the egg poisons the Gnome King. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. She plays pivotal role in a lot of ways. Mm. Not as much here. No. Anyway. When the traveling companions accompany and guide Dorothy to Indigo City and Munchkinland... They encounter the problem, an angry dragon. Despite the danger, the mayor warns Dorothy that she has limited time to study. Scarecrow and Tin Man advise Dorothy that dragons eat dragon berries, and those only grow in Fuddlecumjig in the south, in Quadling country. They seek help, they, after a teleport, from a man made of jigsaw pieces, a fuddle, if you will. As a fan of Dorothy's, he is coaxed into parting with his dragonberry pie. They teleport back, but they can't get the dragon to eat. Dorothy accidentally teleports inside its mouth for a closer look, and she finds a crystal painfully stuck in its teeth. By Bellina's advice, they teleport to the north, to Gillikin country, in order to get the grabber of a grabber tree, one of the many uh, sentient animate trees in Oz. Mm. And the grabber is like a leafy pair of pliers, I guess. Wilhelmina is briefly there to gloat about distracting Dorothy from study. But sticking to her convictions, Dorothy helps the dragon and pries the crystal out of its teeth, pacifying the monster. Then, when it comes to taking the citizenship test, Dorothy first rattles off all the events of her day's adventure. She's a bit of a chatterbox. And the practical experience answers enough questions that she passes the test. Wilhelmina clucks out a... Not Wilhelmina, sorry. Uh, Billina clucks out a joke without translation from us. But they all laugh at it anyway. But then they cram in another joke uh, where Lyman the flying monkey fails his flying test as administered by Frank, the other flying monkey. <laughs> you know, when I saw this, because I, I didn't know this cartoon... I had this expectation that this was going to be from DHX Media slash Wild Brain, the studio that did My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Ah. Nope. It's in-house Warner Brothers. Hey, we both did Warner Brothers. Oh. That's kind of cool. Hey, cool. I have a funky relationship with Wizard of Oz. Um, I really like the books. And as a kid, I probably felt that the movie was kind of babyish. Mm. The thing is, in grade five... They divided the class into two reading groups, and I was, like, in the better reading group. Okay. The thing was, though, there's, like, a smaller group where you were just kind of entrusted to, you know, read this essay and then write about it. Okay. But in the meanwhile, the class, uh, as a, the rest of the class's unit, was reading the wonderful Wizard of Oz. Not the abridged one, but the full one. Hmm. And I would overhear it and think, wow, they're doing something that's so much more fun than I'm doing. Yeah. And- and so unlike that MGM movie, hmm. you know, my ear would be twitching. They'd be talking like, 
Uh, and then they had to get past the Kaleidas, great beasts that were part tiger and bear. And I was like, what? This is the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> and there's a part where they, they outwit a giant spider and like, wow. So that kind of seeded it in me that Wizard of Oz was more than this kind of hokey MGM movie, which, you know, I don't think is a bad movie. I think it's an important movie. I think that uh, it's impressive and that it's got funny character actor stuff like, you know, the the three companions. Mm -hmm. But uh, I really developed a a big liking for the Oz books. Yeah. Their their craziness, imagination. And uh, after the first book, John R. Neal illustrates the rest of them. I think he does a fantastic job. So um, this this series is a mix, right? Like it's it's visually largely MGM, but introduces ideas like uh, the Gnome King. And uh, I watched the first episode too mm-hmm. of this. Um, and um, the Fuddle, the Puzzle Man. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a later episode. Like, you know, there's a later episode that centers around them finding TikTok. Yeah. So I don't know this. They they kind of they they kind of reimagined some things like the, the tin man's given a different kind of life as a storage unit slash semi robot. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, he has that hatch on his front and this is a world post bender. So yeah, well, I was thinking more like toad from super Mario brothers, super show. <laughs> he's got every, he's got everything he needs in his hat. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I guess bender. And you know, he does things like when he tries to throw the ball for Toto's, um, his arm malfunctions and springs away. Yeah. Or like <laughs> the first episode of the series, they load him with water, his nemesis, and then superheat him to turn him into a rocket. <laughs> so <laughs> they do some different stuff. I don't think I kind of expected this show to have a lot more bite and be funnier. Mm. I think Ozma is the funniest character. She's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think mostly little kids would like this. I actually but, like uh, this show quite a bit. I just dis- oh, I just discovered it randomly one day, probably around 2017 or 18. And yeah. just watched a bunch of episodes. Like, Because here's the thing. Like, Oz is cool. But yes. mostly wh- because it's an IP that is so closely protected, it's generally... Um, leaps off of the movie and i don't i don't think it's protected though i think you could write an oz thing tomorrow yeah yeah that i mean i guess that's true like i'm just thinking now disney made the return to oz um yeah but but yeah like i think the oz as a setting or like that kind of fairy tale magical whimsical land like it's been sort of overshadowed by Lord of the Rings to some extent, like like that kind of different animal, though it is. But at the same time, it seems like it's kind of the default for, you know, everything is like medieval European fantasy and not so much fairy tale land fantasy. And if there is fairy tale land fantasy, it's usually the Wizard of Oz. There's very little that like it does what the Wizard of Oz does, but in its own way. Well, I also kind of like that the uh, Oz books are also informed by the Great Depression. Oh, too, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah, it's it's not medieval fantasy. It's like uh, nineteen twenty fantasy. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow! It's a field full of food that we can just have. Um, kinda, kinda. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would always wonder when they describe Dorothy as pleasantly chubby. Hmm. It's like he, they just mean not starving. You know? <laughs> he, and this Oz gets kind of credited as the big American. Uh, fairy tale. Mm-hmm. I think that's accurate. Sure. For as young a country as America is, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, I agree. I think Oz is like, Oz is cool. And I like to see, you know, some new ideas in Oz where it's not just adaptations of like the first book yes. or the movie where. Oh, yeah. Something yeah. like this, where it's like we have all these books and this whole setting and freedom to pretty much do anything like you can you can have any kind of plot you want in the world of oz and it it'll probably stay pretty close to the intention of uh l frank Baum. well i kind of wish this well not this 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 can be its own thing but i kind of like a story with more adventure mm-hmm. you know th- this is a joke show mostly and like a big thing about oz is travel mm-hmm. Well, not this cartoon. They just teleport everywhere they want to go. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for season two, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West is resurrected. Right. Yeah, I read that. And they introduced the Wizard of Oz, who's in the title, but not there, I guess. Yeah, he is voiced by Tom Kenny doing the Ice King voice. Oh, cool. Oh, speaking of voices. um, Oh, yeah. The one that shocked me. Was Bill mm-hmm. Fagerbake as <laughs> yeah. the Scarecrow? Because yeah. he sounds kind of like the Scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz movie. And okay. it's kind of a high voice like this, you know? Yeah. Which is not what you think of when you think of the guy who was Patrick Starr. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, there's some big voices. Like Jess Harnell is the uh, Cowardly Lion. Yeah. Wacko Warner. Wacko Warner. Yeah. Yep. I always like, I, and, I always like to see him because Wacko did so little in Animaniacs. I was like, let me hear mm-hmm. more of this guy's voice. And so mm-hmm. whenever, you know, like in the reboot of Animaniacs that they did recently, where they give all three Warners equal time. Like, hey, cool. Jess Harnell gets to actually well, talk some. He does a fairly ho-hum uh, Bert Lar, but yeah, mm. um, we haven't, to my knowledge, heard Stephen Blum on uh, Animation Celery until now. Probably not. Yeah, and he's here, Stephen Blumming it up as Frank the Flying Monkey. <laughs> yep. People listening to this probably know the name anyway, but he is most famously Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> or some of the good ones too, like uh, uh, Carrie or Kari Walgren. Mm-hmm. Doing double duty as Dorothy and Ozma. Yep. But she's like, um, she starred in so many things. She's Haruko from FLCL, Fu from Samurai Champloo, Saber from the Fate series. Hmm. Like starring roles. Yeah, yeah. Pretty impressive. And uh, Jessica DiCicco. Boy, I probably should have looked how to say these names first. Yeah. Uh, she's Wilhelmina. And I bet you would know her best as Flame Princess. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I actually didn't make that connection, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, now I hear it. Yeah. I like Wilhelmina. There's an there's an episode um 
uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically um, for some reason, uh, the Wicked Witch convinces Dorothy that she needs to go back to uh, uh, Kansas and stay there. Like, I, I don't remember the exact reason she cooked up, but like she had to leave the ruby slippers behind or something like that. And mm. she teleports around and meets up with all the people that she's met in previous episodes to hug them and say goodbye. And yeah. she actually goes to Wilhelmina and like hugs her. It's like, I have to leave it. And she hugs her and Wilhelmina actually hugs her back and gets teary eyed, but then has to deny it. <laughs> well, they're frenemies. Yes. You know, yes. I don't think Wilhelmina is going to throw a fireball at Dorothy. It doesn't seem like it. No. Yeah. So I like Wilhelmina. But yeah, I, I like this show. I like, like I said, I'm glad somebody was doing more with the Oz concept. Yeah. Over time, a lot has been done, so I have a lot to choose from. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, well, why why don't we get into that right now? So now we're gonna go. Yeah. What we're gonna do is we're gonna do the old versions, and we're gonna switch it. So like yeah. Mike is gonna give me something that Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz stemmed from, and I will do an older version of Batman. So what have you got mm. for me? Oh, me first? Okay, well, I have the wonderful Wizard of Oz. You know, the uh, CNR one that was on Canada on uh, TV in Canada all the time. <laughs> I have episode 44, Miss Cut and Clip, and Mr. Fuddle. Hmm. All right. Reasonable. Um, mm. For me, there's a lot of Batman to choose from, as I previously announced. Oh, yeah. But... I thought there's never going to be a better time to do Batman, the animated series, which is mm -hmm. just one of the best cartoons ever made. Uh, and the episode that I decided on is called Read My Lips. And just from the title, you probably know which episode that is. Hmm, maybe. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, next time is that. And in the meantime, why don't you communicate with us, all you celery stalkers? Uh, Twitter's a good way to do it. Uh, tell us what we should watch. Pick a theme. That's a good idea. You know, me and Micah, mostly Micah, are always coming up with these themes for these shows. Why don't you give us a theme and make us, you know, make us pick the cartoons, but give us a starting point. That's a cool idea. You should do that. I am mm. AC Matsy on Twitter. And make sure to tell your pals, pals about this cool podcast. I'm at Drab Swatch. Now, you know, Matsy. There's a way kids can make their own two-way phone. Oh? With these with these two paper cups, huh? some string, and two buttons, we have all the parts for a two-way phone. Okay. Start start by punching a small hole in the bottom of each cup. Uh -huh. Thread one end of the string through one of the holes and then tie it to one of the buttons so the button is on the inside of the cup. Mm. Use a button with large holes or a metal loop on the bottom so it's easier to get the string tied. Okay. Now tie the other end of the button on the inside of the second cup. Tithe. Pull the string tight and we'll be ready to use our new phone. <laughs> what the? <laughs> Something's coming through. <laughs> it's the Celery Stalker's slogan. I officially declare that since you have not taken the official Aussie exam, you are not officially Aussie and you have... Three, two, one. Mm. Officially overstayed your welcome. <laughs>